How many people in here would say that their deepest desire is to go bankrupt? Show of hands. Alexa, okay, you can hand me your uh, credit card afterwards, your checkbook. I'll be glad to help you out with that, okay? Um, I think all of us would say that none of us really, the idea of bankruptcy and being bankrupt financially, morally, spiritually is really something that we desire. It's not something that we just say, this is on my bucket list for this year. I'm going to spend more than I make so that I can't get out of the hole that I'm digging myself into. We all want to have a little more left over at the end of the year, hopefully a lot more left over at the end of the year than what we spend during the year uh, so that we can set some stuff away for retirement, for our grandkids to take care of our parents in their age. And as they're, I'm thinking more and more about that as I get older. Um, but my kids taking care of me uh, as I get older. Um, you hear that, kids? I'm just making sure. They're thinking, Dad, I'm not even out of college yet. What are you talking about? Let's start saving now because uh, I have uh, expensive tastes. So, but we have none, yeah, none of us desires bankruptcy. None of us desires to just see the end come to our bank account. We all want to be successful, be profitable. And Paul, in this passage is talking about the Judaizers, and we've been talking about them for the past several weeks, about how they're leading this church down to the point of spiritual bankruptcy. That if his church continues following the philosophy and the teachings of these Judaizers, those who are leading the Jews, those who are leading these new believers to say, yes, Jesus is fine, but you need Jesus plus something else to really get God's attention. If you follow that philosophy, follow that thinking... To get God's attention, you're going to find yourself lacking in everything that you need to really get God's attention. Chapter 1, we talked about how Paul steps up and he says, Okay, you really want to please God? You can't do it on your own. You can't please God in your own way, in your own abilities, in your own talents. It's pointless to try. But, chapter 2, but go ahead and try. You need to try. You need to try to do all you can to make God pleased with you. How? By faith. Not by our works, not by our actions, not by our intelligence or anything else that we have in our capacity except for our faith. David mentioned Sarah and Abraham this morning and how it was because of their faith that God said they were declared righteous. Not because they did anything, but it was because of their faith in saying, God, I believe you. I believe what you said. I claim your promise as my own, and I believe it. And the Bible says, that belief that led into action, that belief secured their place in God's family. We talked about, and we've all been adopted as sons of God. If we are a child of God, we've been adopted as sons of God, and we can't be taken out of His hand. If we've received Him on faith, if we come to God and say, God, I don't have all the answers. And I think all of us in here, myself included, would say, I don't have all the answers to everything in this book. This letter from God, this love letter from Him to us, I don't understand everything in there. But you're the pastor. That's why I'm still studying. That's why I'm still learning. That's why every day I open it up and I'm like, God, what do you have for me today? And God reveals new and better things to me every single day that I spend in His Word. It's timeless. It goes on. There's nothing new under the sun, and yet every day something is new. 
that God reveals to us, right? Because we're finite. We're just, we're here in the right now. And God's been sharing the same message, the same story for thousands and thousands of years with his children. So the Judaizers, they're coming on the scene and they're going to this church in Galatia and saying, it's all fine and good that you believed in Jesus. But you need something more if you really want true salvation. And they're telling them, for guys, you got to go and get circumcised. Because that's what all the Jews did. In the Old Testament, they showed their faith and they lived out their faith. And they showed themselves as different in their culture and in their communities by getting circumcised. Paul talks about it in Romans, but a true believer is one who was circumcised in their hearts, not in the flesh. And the Jews missed that. They thought if they just set themselves apart physically, that that was going to make all the difference in the world, in their culture, in their environment. And God's saying, it's about here. It's about your heart. It's about the way you live, your lifestyle, and your faith and your trust in Him. That's where the difference comes. We can set ourselves apart physically all day long. We can wear the right clothes. We can live in the right house. We can drive the right kind of car. We can set ourselves apart and look and appear so humble and so meek in the world's eyes and miss the boat. We can sing, we listen to the right kind of music, right? If we say, if we listen to the right kind of music or eat the right kind of food or we celebrate our holidays in the right way, that's what separates us from the world. And you can do all those things and still miss the boat because it's about Jesus, 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 and how you have received him and accepted him, not based on anything else. So the Judaizers are coming in, they're saying, yes, Jesus is fine, but it's Jesus plus, Jesus plus, Jesus plus, Jesus plus the circumcision, Jesus plus the festivals, Jesus plus this, Jesus plus your baptism. And then the same thing goes on today in many churches, in many circles. It's good and all good and well that you believe in Jesus, but you also have to be baptized. That's what gets you sealed in God's kingdom. It's all fine and good that you believe in Jesus, but you also have to be baptized in the Holy Spirit by evidence, by speaking in tongues. And if you don't have that, then you're not really one of God's children. That's the same philosophy as was taught back by the Judaizers in the first century. Because it's Jesus only. Jesus only. Faith in Jesus only. We're going to look at four messages this morning that the Judaizers were really putting out there. And Paul, in his writings to the Galatians, he says, if you believe these four statements, this is what it really means. And we all know, of course, anything you see on the internet that puts a picture next to it is true, right? The Judaizers are coming forward and they're saying, this is what you've got to believe. These statements here are what you've got to believe. And number one says this. Read with me in Galatians chapter 5, verse 2 and following. It says this. Look, Paul's saying, look, I, Paul, say to you that if you accept circumcision, Christ will be of no advantage to you. If you accept circumcision, if you accept Jesus plus circumcision, you accept Jesus plus something your faith is worthless. Your faith is not in Jesus. Your faith is in yourself and what you can accomplish for yourself and what you can do for yourself. Christ will be of no advantage of you. He's saying this. If you believe this, your view of Christ is insufficient. Your view of Christ is insufficient. 
don't know about you, but I am so thankful that Christ is all I need. That Jesus is all I need. He is all sufficient. He and He alone took away my sins. He and He alone preserves me as one of His children. He and He alone is my sufficiency. I don't need anybody else. I don't need anything else when it comes to me and my relationship with God. He is all I need. He is all you need. Now, we come together as the body of Christ to worship on Sundays, right? Because we need each other to help encourage and and, and challenge and, and strengthen and keep each other accountable. But ultimately, in my faith between me and God, it's just Jesus. What he did on the cross, we sang about it a little bit ago. What can wash away my sins? Nothing, nothing, nothing but the blood of Jesus, right? He hung on the cross for you. He hung on the cross for me. Because he is all sufficient. I don't need anything else. John Stott said this. He's a theologian. I died uh, several years back. He said, Believing in this was tantamount to saying that Moses must be allowed to finish what Christ had begun. If you believe that it's Jesus plus something else, Jesus plus circumcision, is tantamount to saying that Moses, the fulfilling the law of Moses was, had to fulfill and complete what Christ began on the cross. Now, Pastor, why are we talking about all this? We, we know in here that Jesus is the only way, right? But there are people we're going to come across in our lives, people God's going to bring into our lives, people that's going to sit in our car, are going to sit in, at the booth across from us at a restaurant, or somebody you're going to run into somewhere in the dental office. Your dental hygienist is going to ask you a question. Well, I'm not going to answer like this, right? As that thing sucks your face off. We are going to have opportunities to answer these questions when somebody's going to say, why is it Jesus only? Why is that such a big deal? You can say, because number one, I am all sufficient in Christ. He is my sufficiency. John Calvin said this, whoever wants half of Christ loses the whole. If you only want half of Christ, you lose the whole thing. If Christ is not everything that you need, He's nothing. Christ is all you need. He doesn't need your baptism. He doesn't need your education. He doesn't need your job. He doesn't need your good works. He doesn't need your background growing up. He doesn't need your citizenship on this earth. He doesn't need anything. He simply wants your faith and your trust. He is all you need. He's all I want. The second one, look at verse 3. He says, I testify again to every man who accepts circumcision that he is obligated to keep the whole law. What does it mean if you believe this, that you are obligated to keep the whole law? It means that I must obey the law. All of the law. And all means what? All means all, and that's all all means. If I believe that I have to do anything plus Jesus, that means I have to do all 614 things to justify myself to God. Anybody excited about that? I don't know, 614 things, I don't even know if I can count that high. <laughs> I'm so glad that I don't have to obey the law 
to justify myself to God. That on the cross, Jesus justified me to himself. On the cross, he did all that was necessary for me. Romans 3.10 says, There is none righteous, not even one. There's no unrighteous enough. My words put in there. There's no unrighteous enough. We all live a good life. We try to live good lives. Every day I try to live a righteous life. But I can't be righteous enough. I can't be good enough to justify myself to God. It just can't happen. It's not going to happen. Because I was born in sin. From the time I was born as a little baby, that selfishness popped out. And those of you who have been parents, you understand. That baby is the most selfish thing, except for the husband, in the whole family. <laughs> wives, no wives said amen? I heard a couple jokes. There you go. That baby, it demands my lack of sleep. It demands clothes pinned on my nose. It demands me to feed it and feed it and well, my wife to feed it and feed it and feed it. It demands my attention when I want to be doing my own thing. It says, well, no, do take care of me. The selfishness pops out. Galatians 3.10 says, for all who rely on the works of the law are under a curse. If we're going to set ourselves up, if the people in the world are going to set themselves up where they say, I've got to do these things to justify myself to God, to be called a child of God, then I'm setting myself up for a curse. Not be cursed physically, but because it's impossible to accomplish. There is no way I can justify myself to God by the works of the law, by doing what's necess- what I think is necessary. And what I think is necessary is Dave, different from what David thinks is necessary. Or what Rich thinks is necessary. Or what Mr. Kim thinks is necessary. Or what Mark thinks is necessary. We all have different in, in, in ideas of what, in our minds, will be necessary to get God's attention, right? I think we all ought to camp out here all, all day and all night long and just uh, be praying and, and fasting and praying. And you're going, uh... Now, if I really want to get God's attention, that's what we ought to do. Maybe somebody else says, if I really want to get God's attention, I'm going to go up to the mountains. I'm going to go hunting and fishing and enjoy the nature out there. Enjoy what God has created. Enjoy the meat He's provided at my table. Enjoy the, the fire that He's created to warm me. Maybe I'm, you're saying, I'm going to enjoy working hard and doing a good day's work and get God's attention by not being a lazy bum. And that's what's going to get God's attention. None of that get God's attention as far as justifying ourselves to Him. None of that does. The third, verse 4, Paul says this, You are severed, if you believe these things, you are severed from Christ. Ouch. That's harsh. You are severed from Christ. You would be justified by the law. You have fallen away from grace. Now, some people read this verse, and what does it sound like? It sounds like God's saying, I'm cutting you off from my kingdom. I'm cutting you off as the body, from the body of Christ. You are going to lose your salvation, right? But look, we have to look at this in context. Context, context, context is king. 
Paul is not talking about that. If you look at this verse in, in relation to all the other verses he's written about this in Scripture, he's not talking about how we can lose our salvation. We've already talked about this before. Once you're adopted into God's kingdom, you can't be removed. You can't be taken out of his hand. Nothing in this world is powerful enough to remove us from the hand of God, right? So what is Paul talking about here when he says you can be severed from Christ or you have fallen away from grace? What's he talking about? He says, I'm giving up. And my belief is God's grace is not good enough. If I believe this and believe what the Judaizers are saying about this Jesus plus methodology and this Jesus plus theology, I'm really saying, God, your grace is not enough to save me. God, I'm too bad. I've done things bad enough, so bad that not even you are able to really redeem me. That your blood you shed on the cross was not enough for me. That the sacrifice that you made, being flogged on my behalf and going and, and being punished for my sins was not enough. That having all the sins of the world piled on your shoulders while you hung on the cross was not enough. Even raising from the dead was not enough, God. I have to do something else. What does it say about us? What does it say about mankind when we think that we can do anything to justify ourselves like that to God, right? Paul's talking about falling away from the doctrine of grace, that if we believe salvation is by law, then we have abandoned the belief in salvation by grace. Ephesians 2, 8, 9 says this, For by grace you have been saved through faith. By grace you have been saved through faith. And that is not of your own doing. Even your faith was given to you. Think about that for a minute. I'm reading the Word of God, and I'm, I'm going to work on my faith, and I'm going to make it strong, and I'm going to believe in Jesus. Even your faith was given to you by God. It is a gift of God, not the result of works, so that no one may boast. The only thing we have to boast in is what Jesus did on the cross for us. The only thing we have to boast in is how he took my sins away. I can't boast in myself. I have no right to boast in how good I am or how spiritual I am. I have no right. Because every spiritual blessing I have received, every bit of spiritual wealth I have received is as a result of God giving it to me first and then me embracing it. It's out there for the taking, people. It's out there for the taking. That faith is out there for the taking. His blessings are out there for the taking. Why do we fight it? Why do we think I've got to justify myself to God and the way I live? It's out there just for the taking. Say, God, I want to come to you on my knees today and please bless me. He says, okay, you're my child. I love you. You're my son. You're my daughter. I love you. I want to bless you. It's an either-or proposi either proposition and not a both-and proposition. Either salvation is by divine accomplishment or it's by human achievement. Either it's all about God or it's all about us. It can't be both. It can't be both. A lot of philosophies in the world out there today teach that 
You've just got to be good enough. If you live your life morally, you live your life good enough, that'll be enough for God. When you die and you stand before Him, if your good outweighs your bad, if you've done the right things, you've had the right sacraments done throughout your life, if you had the right prayers prayed over you, you've had somebody baptized for you, or you've been baptized yourself, that's enough. People believe. Some philosophies believe. But according to the Word of God, all that is rubbish. All that is for naught. It's simply about what Christ has done for you. Fourthly, verse 5. says, For through the Spirit, by faith, we eagerly, we ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. By faith, we eagerly await the hope of righteousness. If you believe and you accept this idea of Jesus plus, what you're basically saying is heaven is not enough. Heaven is not enough. I long to go to heaven. I long and I look forward to the second coming of Christ. I can't wait to meet Jesus in the air. I really, I, I look forward to it every day. I'm like, God, is today the day? I'm, I'm practicing. Rapture practice. Jesus, take me now. I look forward to spending time with Jesus in heaven. I look forward to that. I don't want this earth anymore. I'm 50 years old. I think it's time for me to go home. Some of you are going, well, you're on what? I've <laughs> been around a lot longer than that. Do you long for heaven? Do you long to spend time with Jesus? I don't mean sitting with your little wings and you're playing your little harp in heaven. Not that kind of heaven. Not that picture. Walking hand in hand with the creator of the universe, the Lord, Savior, God, Jesus Christ, who saved you and redeemed you. Do you long to have him welcome you into heaven so you can say, welcome in, my good and faithful servant. Let me show you around and grab you by the hand and walk and show you over here and show you this person and that person. And you get to meet David and Moses and all these people that David's been talking about on Sunday mornings. And, and he's introduced you to these heroes of the faith and, and he shows you to your mansion. He says, here's the keys. Go on in and enjoy it. And you say, God, I've been waiting for this. I've been waiting for you. Do you long for heaven? Because if you accept this idea, this philosophy, this, that it's, Jesus is not enough, what are you really looking forward to? Getting your grades? Check, 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 check. I did this, I did this, and A plus and that, no, A minus there, B plus. Oh, gee, God, Jesus, don't look at this. I got a C in that. Or do those things don't make any, or those not make any difference? And really, it's all about Jesus and what he did. See, righteousness is ours now, and our glorification is going to come in the future. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21 says this, For our sake He made Him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in Him, Jesus, we might become, become the righteousness of God. If you have received Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you have become the righteousness of God. It is, you are no longer a sinful person in God's eyes. You no longer have to worry about what's going to happen when I stand before Jesus and, and at the pearly gates. Is he going to accept me in? Because when he looks at you, he's going to see himself. 
you have become the righteousness of God. And he took on your sin upon himself. 2 Timothy 4.8 says, Henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award me on that day. And not only to me, but to all who loved his appearing. It's going to be a great and glorious day when Jesus appears. A great and glorious day when Jesus appears and takes us home. Just like the hymn writer wrote, my hope is built on nothing less but Jesus' blood and righteousness. What's your hope in today? What are you putting your hope in? Are you putting your hope in these statements of, of, of the Judaizers that Jesus plus something else is what you really need? Or are we putting our hope in what Paul talks about in verse 6 here? The true message, the biblical core values. Look at verse 6. It says, For in Christ Jesus, neither is neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but only faith working through love. You realize in this passage, the past two verses, it lays out the core values. Here, and, and here in our church, the leadership team, we've been kind of hashing out what's our mission statement, what are our core values, what's really going to drive us. Paul lays it out right here in verses 5 and 6. These are our core values. Faith, hope, love. Faith worked out in or love, worked out in faith, or faith worked out in love. What is it said there? Faith working out through love and our hope in the coming Messiah. Hope in what Christ has got. Hope in the future. Hope in the heaven. And our time in Asia, <coughs> why was it that the governments had a really hard time pushing down the Christian church? Because their hope was not in this world. Their hope was not in what the government could provide. Hope was not in even their job or their in- income or their food that was on the table. Their hope was in heaven. This world is not our home. Praise God for that. We are just temporary residents taking up a spot here. My hope is in heaven. And while I'm here, I'm going to live out my faith through love, serving others. Those are the core values. What are the core values that Judaizers and Satan teaches? Fear, bondage, despair. If we are taught faith, hope, and love by following the pattern of this world, all you do is take upon yourself fear, bondage, and despair. Fear not, never quite, it's never quite knowing where you stand with God. Always being afraid. Have I done enough? Have I done enough? Have I done enough? Have I not done enough? Because we view that, that person views God as an angry God who's just waiting to judge and waiting to come down and say, squash all the fun you're going to have. Isn't that what many people, how they view God? He's this judgmental, angry God who's trying to squash all of our fun. When in reality, God wants to have a, the most, best, most fun possible. He's wanting to have us to have an abundant life. Not just an okay life. In bondage, you're trapped in repeated sin over and over and over again because self-empowerment is not strong enough. 
because I can't fight sin on my own. I slip back into the same sins over and over again. Why? Because I'm trying to do it in my own power and in my own strength rather than trusting God and saying, God, I give this over to you. Take it. I'm tired of it. Despair, having no hope or freedom over the future. Worry is our emotion of choice when that is your core value. Fear, bondage, and despair. The false teacher's message is ultimately empty, full of empty promises. God came to fulfill all the promises. Think of the products we've had have been promised over the years, all those things that are over-promised and under-delivered, timeshares. You can come and experience vacation whenever you want, all throughout the year. Come on out. We promise it'll be ready for you, except for that week you won't really want to come. And then here's your bill for that week you couldn't come, and then next year and the next year again. Or kids, Mom, Dad, if I could just have this puppy, I'll promise forever. I'll take care of it. I'll feed it and take it out and water it, and I'll bathe it and take it for walks, and I'll love it and hug it and squeeze it and call it George, and you'll never have to do anything at all with that puppy dog. Lies from the pit of hell. Just saying. Not that my kids would ever do that. Just saying. Or that new car you just had to have because it looked so shiny and cool and you needed that new car because it was going to do for you and bring you some status or make you look cool driving down the road. And, and later on, you realize it doesn't really do all that for you. That college degree that they said, you get this college degree, you'll never worry for anything. You'll never lack for anything, right? You'll be set for life with this degree in your pocket. You'll never have to really work hard. Just trust me. Or all the antivirus software on your parents' computers. And they still click the link and get the virus. They still click the link. They still click the link and they're calling you. How do I fix this? Or the latest Windows update. You promise if you install this update, your computer will be fine and dandy. Never have a problem again. Or whatever the hottest new trend is in fashion, food, music, or diets. All those things that overpromise, underdeliver, just like the message of the Judaizers. Just like the message of those, even in today's world, that says, Jesus is fine, but it's a little bit more. Jesus plus, Jesus plus. They overpromise, underdeliver. And yet, Paul says in Galatians 6.15, For neither circumcision counts for anything, nor uncircumcision counts for anything. It's the new creation. You are the new creation. And we're going to join God there. The teaching of the gospel is not empty. It is life-changing, leading to a life of faith working through love. That is fruit, the fruit of saving faith that we are all driving toward. The false teachers were all about the external self-ritual, the self-justification. But the true Christian is about faith demonstrated through loving service. It's through our faith. It's saying, God, it's not about me. It's not my my abilities to do anything. It's about you and what you have done for me. And today, we're going to recommit ourselves to saying, God, I'm setting aside my dependence on myself. I'm setting aside my dependence on anything this world has to offer. 
I'm setting aside any, anything else that may separate, separating me from you because I don't want to be bankrupt spiritually. There's a lot of temptations out there that Satan wants to throw on our path. And all of them lead to bankruptcy. None of us want to be there. But all the things that Satan throws in our path, they all lead to the same place. They all lead us astray. If you read through the, pro, uh, read through the Pilgrim's Progress or watch the videos, a lot of temptations and every single one of them, if you got off the path, they all led the same way. Bankruptcy. Bankruptcy. 